You're listening to Tov, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Hey, this is John Spirasavet. I'm here with co-hosting today, Sari Laufer again. Hey, Sari. Hello, how are you? Good. We are doing Chapter 12, Mindy St. Clair, and I think you claimed this like way at the I, beginning. I did. I both, I think I love Mindy St. Clair for her New York in the 1980s ethos, but also I am obsessed with the middle place. And you are, of course, a New Yorker also. I am a New Yorker and a New Yorker of the 80s generation. So, you know, the shoulder pads, you know, sort of the whole thing, like the the high-powered businesswoman. I'm sure she wore her sneakers on the subway. Like, I, I, I have the whole picture in my mind. And and being in L.A. now, is that like a totally different world? Totally different world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we happen to be recording this on Hanukkah, although it will not, it doesn't matter what time of year anyone listens to it. But for those who might be listening to it when it comes out or shortly after, I actually, I love Hanukkah. I also I believe that Hanukkah is too short, and I actually think a lot about the ninth day and what you're supposed to see, the candles that kind of you light in your your mind or your soul's eyes. So if you're out there and it's after Hanukkah, like half, happy continuing the spirit of Hanukkah. Would uh, it be nice if like somehow, I mean, I, I know it can never happen on the Jewish calendar, but there would be something cool if, if Hanukkah always ended, like if Thursday night or Friday night was always the last night of Hanukkah, right? So you always went into it with like the extra candles of Shabbat. So you sort of had that vision. I feel like sometimes that happens. It does, for yeah. sure. Sometimes I'm just saying we can't codify quite that. But Yeah, yeah. I actually nice. thought about for the first time this year that the that Hanukkah is always synced up so that the the moon is getting smaller while the first candles are getting bigger and then they kind of line up and so you're sometimes pulling in the opposite direction of the light and then you end by kind of swinging it forward altogether. The... Which is also, I mean, this is not having to do with the good place, but that amazing midrash, there's this story about Adam, right, being afraid of the dark and and then like realizing like, oh, that's the way the world goes. It's going to get darker and then it's going to get brighter. And so I always love that confluence. Yes. And maybe we'll, we'll throw in the notes that particular Talmud, because actually it does link Hanukkah as sort of a day of judgment back in the Garden of Eden. So, you know, anything can become part of the good place. I can link you both the text and we made a short film on it last year for the high holidays. So I can give you that one, too. I'll see you one film, one text. Exactly. (laughs) I'll see your text and raise you one animation. (laughs) Definitely. Spoken as a Jew, Los Angeles. Los Angelino, exactly. (laughs) Los Angelino. So do you want to give us, Sari, the summary of this episode? Yes, I do. Eleanor, Jason, and Janet arrive at the medium place, a wide space with one home belonging to one Mindy St. Clair. While Jason and Janet celebrate their honeymoon by trying to have sex, Eleanor talks to Mindy, trying to understand why Mindy is there. Mindy explains that she was a high-powered corporate attorney in the 1980s, completely self-centered, until a cocaine-fueled epiphany led her to withdraw her life savings for the purpose of starting a foundation that would improve every nation and society in every possible way. Though she fell onto the subway tracks and was killed before she could complete her plan, her sister used the money and set up that foundation. Unsure whether she was, in the end, destined for the good or bad place, the medium place was created as a compromise just for her, sentencing her to eternal mediocrity. Back at Michael's office, Sean carries on Eleanor's trial. And despite everyone's testimony that Eleanor is a good person or on her way, Sean judges that Eleanor and Jason do indeed belong in the bad place. 
Not knowing where they are, he communicates through the Janets, announcing to Jason and Eleanor that either they return and face their sentence or Chidi and Tahani will be sent to the bad place instead. Very nice. This is, I could tell, Sari teaches homiletics <laughs> at the Hebrew but Union. But the performance part. Just no, the but I mean, the, re- the re- writing, you took the uh, the draft of that summary and you made it uh, so much better. That, that was great. This was, uh, yeah, so we can, uh, we can sort of, I'm trying to make... I'm calling it fan rav, you know, fan rabbi. I'm trying to, it's like fetch. I'm trying to make that happen. But uh, we'll see if it happens. And anything you want to fan rav about, about this episode? I mean, like I said, like I am truly obsessed with Mindy and and have so many thoughts and questions about the middle place. I will say, you know, I think especially in light of everything in the world, you know, there's this, there's like the one aside where they're discussing Eleanor at great length. They don't even sort of bother to go into Jason's history because at one point Sean just like, oh, he's from Florida. Oh yeah, the bad place. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I just think it's a little bit funny. And, and you know, I will say that I think, look, I, I, sh- I actually sort of struggle with the caricaturization of Eleanor in this episode in particular, but I do sort of love when they put up the memories that it's like, you know, yelled at waiter 22 times, right? Like all of that stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I meant to go back as in the first episode where they do the, in the welcome video where they uh, list things that get you different times of points. I thought it was fascinating and I didn't freeze frame Sean's presentation there, which I think is probably worth doing. Maybe I could put a, get a screenshot of that if that doesn't violate any yeah. copyright laws and we'll find put, out. <laughs> put it up there. You know, it's interesting. I thought of this as, this is like such a classic episode, but it wasn't one of those always laugh, like every line is awesome. Right. Well, it's not the ensemble interacting the way they usually mm. do. Like there's, there's loss in that, which I think that's sort of part of what they're wrestling. So maybe it's played out in the script, but, but I think it, it, it is a classic episode and yet not, right? Because it's just not the usual interaction. Yeah. I have to say, I love Sean. And I think, I mean, the voice is so, so good. And it's almost this self-referential mock announcer type, pretentious announcer voice. And and of course, I love the goo, the, the not the goo. Well, there's the thing about, I, I was the, just, I was enjoying myself. The like, there's the cocoon. And yeah. then there's something about the goo that he, he was asleep in goo for the last 29, 29 years, years, which yeah. he likes, and he just wants to go back to doing. Yeah, <laughs> which I'm like, yeah, totally. I get you, Sean. <laughs> There was, I wrote down, I was like taking notes on my phone while watching. I wrote something about Dramamine. What was that? What was that? Oh, that he takes it because like emotion. I mean, right. That's also this interesting (laughs) play of like that emotion makes him nauseous. So when Shidi asks for permission to be slightly emotional, he, you know, Sean takes the Dramamine. He's like, it helps with the nausea. <laughs> the other, the other, I don't know if you caught this at the very beginning when one of the magazines in the checkout counter, like the cashier, the registers at the cash register, the People magazine type thing, has Tahani, I think, on it. Oh, I didn't catch that. I was looking at the 18 baby butterfaces, but I did not catch that. But that's a good, I was going to say, I feel like part of what this episode, I feel like there are some little sort of Easter eggs in it because it doesn't have the same rhythm as a lot of other ones. They sort of just stick other things in there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there was a lot. I think it was a little forced in, in a couple of those places that way. Yeah. The, the setup of the, I don't know, smoking hot turd line, like it didn't, you could <laughs> tell, like, we need to say something really funny here, but, you know, it was, was okay, you know, but, and yet it was, and yet it was good. I just thought the thing where, where Eleanor comes to, young Eleanor comes to her parents in the flashback and... <laughs> I think it's is it her mom who's describing how stupid her father is for trying to frame her mother's boyfriend. He's already been found guilty, but he's still... he was already guilty, dumbass. 
<laughs> just, <laughs> just good stuff. So, um, and of course, the Janet loudspeaker, the walkie-talkie thing, that is, is a brilliant. It's a good. I thought, actually, in my memory, there was more fun, bad Janet stuff in season one, but I, I haven't seen I that quite yet. Yeah, so. I don't. Right. I feel like at this point, she's sort of just like, you know, crass more than anything. <laughs> so should we talk about uh, thematically? What did, what are you seeing in here? I realize like anytime I watch or when I'm thinking about talking about it, like, it always boils down to certain questions. So I feel like thematically, this ongoing question, you know, I think in this episode, it's, it's sort of crystallized around how many good, de- like at what point do you cross to good or to bad? I I mean, I feel like the middle place is meant to sort of represent an equilibrium, maybe, you know, like scales of justice in balance a little bit. But like, I think there's still this larger question of what makes someone good or not good. Like that, that seems to be the overarching question of the whole series. But in this one really, to me, feels like it crystallized. I mean, I feel like Mindy forces us to ask this, right? Like she describes herself as a terrible person. Like self-described, she's like, I was totally self-centered. All I cared about was money and cocaine, but then does this one thing and she arguably, she doesn't even finish it, but Mm -hmm. at the end of her life does this one thing and it doesn't quite push. It's not enough to push her to the good place, but it is enough to push her out of the bad place. So that to me, there is a major theme. And then again, I think the overarching theme, which in this episode is, is, you know, quite explicit of the, what do we owe each other? The book that like the one book that Eleanor has with her. And I hadn't seen the connection between those two before the, the measuring of goodness or the balance of goodness and the, the owing each other until I saw how vivid that book was, the, the What We Owe Each Other book. And it did put me in mind of this quotation from a Pirkei vote from the Mishnah's early Talmudic ethics. So this is, the text says that there are four qualities of people, I guess, four, four types of people. A person who says what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours is a medium person. And, and then it says, but some people say this is the, the quality of, of Sodom, like the city that was destroyed, you know, in the Bible. Uh, a person who says, what's mine is yours, and what is yours is mine is a is a fool, I guess, some kind right. of, you know, that's confusing. A person who says, what's mine is yours, and what's yours is yours is a, is a chassid, is kind of a pious or devoted person. And a person who says, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine that's an evil person but anyway but what i thought about was this this definition of the the medium person here links the kind of selfishness not in the sense of i want what's yours but like i want to be separate like this the mm-hmm. separate the separate realms that person is called either a medium person or or a a person who has the quality of the most evil city in the whole torah and i was thinking that so like you're saying Mindy St. Clair she has this kind of recognition of this one act of goodness, but it doesn't really affect her fundamental uh, character, I guess, because she's talking to Eleanor like, okay, survival, like that's what you got to do right now is not take the big picture into account at all. But then it links back and Eleanor is is remembering her, is kind of remembering herself, the the, the office birthday party she doesn't want any part of because she just wants a very strict kind of uh, transactional relationship with these people. If I, if I eat your cake, I'm going to have to get you one. And, and so somehow the... The mediumness is sort of linked up with this self-centeredness, I guess. I haven't thought. Yeah, of that I mean, connection. I think, 
And I think the bringing in of her sort of origin story of emancipation, like literal, mm, mm. I am going to be separate from you and not just separate, right? And the language she uses, I think is significant because when the mom's like, what is it? What is emancipation? You know, yeah. Eleanor says, I don't owe you anything and you don't owe me anything, right? Like Ooh, there, nice. there seems yeah. to be, you know, Eleanor. And, and so I think playing, you know, and part of me is like, I guess they're in the like, what's mine is mine and what's yours and yours. And I have no interest in, in unboundering that, you know, I struggle with like, I, I'm not actually sure that the chassid is the one who says like, what's mine is yours and what's yours is yours. That feels a little bit self-effacing. So I wonder, do we add a fifth? Is the good place sort of this version of like, what's ours is ours, right? Mm. It belongs to me, but it also like, like that we somehow share it. Right. We share responsibility for it. We share the privileges of it that there are, you know, because I feel like part of the big picture of the good place for Eleanor is understanding what it means to be in relationship. So you were also saying how the episode isn't as as yuck yuck in the, the typical way because the whole group is not together. We But we get these cuts back and forth between the these people who are standing up for her to Sean. Right. And she's out there sort of trying to figure out if she should come back to them or or what and it's a really nice way of making us see like no matter she could go far off but it's really right, not a she's question in relationship with them yeah or at least you know it's like it's this interesting question they're clearly in relationship with her and i think there's this question of is she also in relationship with them and and that maybe is like the foundational change for eleanor it's not about a deed necessarily as much as it is about a relationship and I was very struck, I thought it was great how in in the office there, in Michael's office, where Sean makes them express convictions and commitments without expressing any emotion, or he'll disappear into his his cocoon. And, and Chidi basically describes how, like, I made a decision, you know, that went against my character and my nature, you know, because of her. And he tries to say this in a very straightforward, emotionless way. So he doesn't really have that many lines in the episode. And that's no. like one of his only right. ones. Yeah. Okay, but can I ask my burning question? <laughs> of course. The thing that I think grabbed me, like from the first time I saw this episode to like, what, how is it like really, truly like in the world that we inhabit, both our actual world and the world of the good place, how is it possible that there's only one person in the middle place? So the text that I keep coming back to um, is a text that I love and often teach. I said that like they're all high holiday texts because that is the that's the theme of the good place. So this is a text from the Talmud from from Tractate Rosh Hashanah, and it a, a rabbi is t- says basically that three books are opened on Rosh Hashanah. So lots of us are familiar with the Book of Life. We talk about it all the time during the high holidays. Like that we want to be sealed in it. We want to be written in it. So the rabbis say one book is open that's holy wicked people. And they are immediately written and sealed for death, right? So that feels like that's the bad place. That mm-hmm. seems to map nicely onto the bad place. And then you have one of holy righteous people. That's the book of life, right? They are immediately written and sealed for life. So presumably in our little map, that's the good place. And then they go on to say middling people, what they call the benonim, the benonim are left with their judgment suspended. In this case, from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur. And if they merit... If they do enough good in that period, they are written for life. And if they don't, they move to, and it just feels to me, right, that the mid, like literally the same language, the middle place is the Benonim. And I just, like, I look around our world, forget our world, like I look at myself and Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm Benonim. Like, I, I just, it feels to me like 
there aren't actually that many people who are wholly wicked, who are so easily sent to the bad place, or that many people who are whole. It's so clear that they are righteous. And I know, I, I get that that is sort of what the, the whole series is trying to tease out a little, but it does feel to me like the middle place is actually where the whole thing should be taking place. Most people start in the middle place. It, it seems strange to me that only one person, and I get, I get that it's a gimmick and I get all of that, <laughs> yeah. but that only one person was found to be like, well, <laughs> like she had just enough to tip her from one side to the next, like tip her to the middle. Well, I wondered actually whether there are a whole bunch of middle places, essentially each one tailored. Oh, the- I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. So we have to do a like a fan fiction where we write our own episodes. Right. It'll be like, you know, in between these episodes and stage. Well, them. also interesting, is the middle <laughs> place personalized the same way the good place is, right? It seems uh-huh. to me that like uh-huh. part of the the glory of the good place is you get your version of paradise. Whereas maybe, maybe part of the middle place is that it's not personalized, right? That you're just sort of stuck in what what do they call? I think they call it eternal mediocrity. It's no, it's, there's no frozen yogurt. There's just warm beer, right? And uh, cannonball <laughs> only watch one movie, right? Cannonball the run. making of Cannonball Run. Right. So I think this linking of the middle place, the medium place here with isolation, sort of maps a bit too. Like what Mindy is saying, I think she knows that she prefers this to the bad place, but she's not happy to be there. And I'm sure the Talmud is not saying that we want to be like it's an unstable place to be. Right. The medium. Right. It's a, For sure. Though, interestingly, you do sort of get this sense that, and maybe that's part of it, right? Maybe that's part of why Mindy is never going to get out of the middle place. She definitely doesn't want to be in the bad place because of self-preservation and she still puts herself first. But at one point, Eleanor says to her, I don't remember exactly, maybe it's when they're leaving and she's like, do you want to come? Like this sense that Mindy's like, I don't actually want to be with other people. I'm good. (laughs) I've got my routines. I've got my alone time. I don't need other people. And I feel like, so maybe that is... That's really the deciding line. Until and unless she acknowledges needing other people, she's stuck in that space. There would be no motivation for her to change the situation the way Eleanor. So the way that Eleanor is at the moment medium is different from the way Mindy is. Well, I think like I, I mean, I think they're setting it up to say that really, if you look at Eleanor's life, she belongs in the bad place. There's no, she had no which I don't love, like, I think everyone has some redeeming, maybe that's yeah. why I'm a, you know, I'm a softy. Like, <laughs> everyone has some redeeming qualities to balance it. Well, not everyone. There are people who I think are whole, but I'm saying like so few are wholly wicked, but that Eleanor doesn't have, in in life, doesn't have, right? Like Mindy's thing is that in her, at the end, before she died, she had done this one thing or put the wheels in motion for this one thing. Eleanor hadn't, but that post-life, right, in this afterlife, Eleanor is changing. And again, I think it's interesting that I don't think the changing is about the deeds. I think our tradition is is very focused on deed, right? That that's how you see the change. And I think we could name some that are Eleanor's, but really for her, I think it is about relationship, about owing somebody else, about feeling like your fate is connected with someone else's fate. It is interesting how she moves from both feeling connected, which I think she's gone from saying, I want to be like these people, which I think she's expressed before. I used to be someone who good people made me just think, feel even more bad about myself. So I would mock them and be the opposite. And now she wants to be like them. And now she's feeling like she actually owes them something. Like the idea that she could just figure out her own answer doesn't even make sense to her about halfway through. And like at the, it's nice because I think at the beginning when 
Mindy describes kind of what life is like there. She's like, you know, okay, cool. And then Eleanor is less and less interested in that the more time that she spends there. As you're talking, there's like two things that I'm sort of thinking about. So first, I want the flashback, like right but when she's on the train, like the flashback that shows her her life the minutes before she dies and the Greenpeace or whoever he is guy is like, why are you so mean? Like, I think about it all the time. I wonder what made you that way. And Eleanor's response is really, dude, because like the minute you're out of my sight, I don't think about you anymore. And she does the like, I see you. I don't care. And yet here we are. She's out of everyone's sight. She can't see Chidi or Tahani or Michael. Mm. And yet she is thinking about them you see that is different. The old Eleanor would have been like, don't care. And I think that that plays out with exactly what you're saying that like first when she meets Mindy, she keeps saying like, yeah, you're my kind of gal. She really is like, oh, I could, I could do this. But then when we catch up with her back in the middle place, she's putting out pictures of her friends and reading the book that her, right? Like that she's like, oh, (laughs) like suddenly I have object permanence around a relationship. And she hadn't had that, right? She didn't have that with her parents. That was good. And I was going to say something. Dream. I was going to say something about Freud. I forget what earlier, but that you got you got it back. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't exactly what we've been talking about just right now. But Mindy also presents the straight up question of how much good balances evil. And in our world, we're so much now talking about whether some people's really bad deeds. It's certainly a, a Me Too question, I think, everywhere against some some really good stuff that people have done or potentially has been regarded as really good. You and I deal with this because we have rabbinic colleagues who have really fallen and been considered great teachers and inspirations to people, but have turned out to have done just horrible things. And the question of how to see these two things next to each other is really hard. So, yes, I mean, I think that is like, I said, like, I think that is the micro question of this episode in that sort of macro of what makes a good person. And so there's a another text, again, on repentance that interestingly, I think doesn't talk about the process of repentance. This text in particular doesn't talk about the, okay, so if you have a person who has done so much good, but also really terrible stuff, like what is the process for them to to make reparation around the bad stuff. But Maimonides, so this is in Hilchot Shuva, chapter three, rule four. And he says that it is therefore necessary for everyone to behold themselves throughout the whole year. So again, sort of like basing it on Rosh Hashanah. And I think we can maybe extrapolate, like, what does this mean in a lifetime? But you should hold yourself through the whole year as if you are evenly balanced between innocent and look upon the entire world as if it is evenly balanced between innocent and guilt. And thus you see yourself that if you do one bad thing, commit one sin, you overbalance yourself and the whole world to the side of guilt. But if you perform one, he uses mitzvah, respond to one obligation, you will overbalance yourself and the whole world to the side of virtue. So Mindy is like the perfect extrapolation because she lives her whole life pretty like just being not a good person. And then right before her death, she does this one thing. And again, it doesn't actually balance her to the side of good. It brings her to the side of balance. It, it just puts her in, in the middle place. But it's this interesting question. How good is good enough? Or how bad is too bad? Yeah. And and I was thinking now, as you were narrating the episode, too, that the question is, suppose she had taken the money out of the bank, started the foundation, set it in motion, you know, and then on day one after opening her office had fallen into the subway tracks. Is she saying that would have that would would be in the good place, would she be in the good place? And so I'm, I'm kind of wondering why they chose to interrupt her in the middle, unless it's just to expose the absurdity of this situation. 
and say that like this is like this is what we're seeing all the time you know like and we look at celebrities who are famous for their philanthropy in the real world and it's like pointing a finger at us what are the things that we are now overlooking either in their personal life or even in their work. I mean, look what happened to Bill Gates. He was a villain. And now I don't think he's publicly about in the culture and the zeitgeist. He's he's not a villain in the way that he right. was when he was, you know, stealing Apple's property or <laughs> doing other you know, terrible things. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is, you should bring on Lila Corwin Berman for that conversation or Jill Jacobs. Actually, either one of them's have that conversation around, is there ever such a thing as like a, a well-begotten fortune? Right? Mm, like, can mm. you have on the money piece, which I think is interesting, you know, and I was thinking to myself, maybe they stop her at that point because at that point it could go either way. If she'd lived, could have been like, yeah, I'm going to do this, like starting the foundation uh... or does she wake up the next morning and is like, oh man, forget that. And like, go backwards on it. So it's um, like this, they caught her in the moment where it sort of hangs in the balance. That is a really nice interpretation because she describes when Eleanor suggests to her that this must have been a coked up moment that she had, she doesn't deny that. Like she doesn't totally own that this was her intention, that she would have, you know, in, in, in a clear moment followed through. So I guess that's a really nice way to- Well, essentially she does that. say that. She says, because Eleanor's like, you must have been real coked up. And she's like, ah, flying high. And she says, but I followed through. So there is this sense that she woke up the next morning uh, right. and took out the money. But I say, I, I there's this part of me that's like, but maybe they stopped it there. Like maybe she ends up in the middle place because maybe it would have been enough to push her to the good place if she'd actually gotten the foundation running. Or she could have gone back on her plans easily, like in the next coked out night, been <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to get her to take that money and, you know, buy some more blow. <laughs> Yeah, it's a different paradigm of mediumness and presents kind of a different dilemma about how we rate that. I, I have to say, I don't know, I feel responsible as a rabbi to say that the portrayal of drugs as only a selfish, kind of self-centered, pleasure-seeking thing is certainly incomplete. And I was like a little bit uncomfortable that this show made like, I mean, it's a comedy, it's, you know, exaggerated, but certainly that's not the whole story of substance use. Right, for sure. I mean, I do, I think in this, like I said, like, I think this was the character, this was like Wolf of Wall Street caricature. It was that ethos, you know, and I also think it's interesting, and or maybe this is like my, is it like, there is this part of me that's like, I think Eleanor is judging her a little bit. Again, at the beginning, Eleanor's like, yeah, you're my gal. Like, oh, I, we we could be the same. And then Eleanor's like, wait a minute, I don't want to be this late. You know, all the times that 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 Mindy makes the cocaine jokes and it's like, you get me? And Eleanor's kind of like, no, 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 I don't, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe there's also, like, I'm, I'm, I've been lately really enchanted by the Janet Jason backdrop it's almost like shakespearean like the kind of gestury things that's going on yeah. but it, it really lightens the it not only lightens the mood but it but it also their simplicity of caring about each other just shows up in all these places and it seems to have an effect on people around them i don't think that that eleanor talks about it explicitly but especially as jason really like doubles down like no we're not going back because this is going to split us up forever <laughs> it's ridiculous right. well there's mortals. i think there's like a such a sweetness to them yeah. that everyone kind of responds to and also again sort of going back to that loneliness piece jason I could argue like he might not even be a like if we want to go like four children, <laughs> right? Forget the four types of people and think about the four children on Passover. The why is the wick? I and I know that someone has made that meme, so we can probably find it for the show notes. You know, that Jason is the simple child, or maybe even the one who doesn't know how to ask. 
Jason, it's almost like he didn't have the agency to be a bad person. Like mm. he just was, you know, but but he doesn't, his relationship is actually not the thing he struggles with. He actually has, I mean, not with great people, but really loving relationships with both in his life and also then in the good place. Like he has relationships. But we do see the limits of his vision a bit here because he does buy into the idea that they could just stay there or stay off the grid and and that would be good for him and good, I mean, good for him and good for Janet. And so he's not able to make the equation, you know, that there's, uh, they should go back. And I'm trying to think, I can't really... (laughs) As I say, his uh, his attempt to throw the Molotov cocktail yeah. at I think what's called the trans something called like the Trans Eternity oh, the Railroad. The Trans Eternal, yeah, the I noticed that this time too. That's great. It's <laughs> and it's funny, I forgot that it was just a like a part of me watching was like, is that going to happen? Is he going to blow up the train? I didn't remember that. that <laughs> yeah, happened. I was I like, wait, is that, that how it ends? I don't remember that being how it ended. <laughs> so yeah, so I brought that up because yeah, I think it, it generally seems to have an effect. I think Jason has that effect on everybody around it's sort of he he himself can't see maybe how he's connected more broadly but his existence seems to show everybody else a bit how there's another layer or another circle go out and see um each other in so he's a doing his buddhist monk thing you know without knowing <laughs> right it, without doing a, it yeah being a teacher although i guess do we talk about this before but buddhist monk is that supposed to be because of detach not no attachments am i no, I think at the a, beginning it was so that he wasn't talking. Well, I know that's why, but I'm trying to think right. of where he, I may be remembering 60 conversations I've had about this somewhere else. <laughs> I'm thinking about the way it, this episode ends, which actually to me, like in, in all the ways that I think this show dovetails so profoundly with Jewish teachings, I actually think that where this episode ends feels really antithetical to me. So, you know, it ends with Sean basically being like, we're owed two people. Our calculation is that we are owed two people. We don't care who. So you guys figure it out. And I was actually thinking about always back to the high holidays. One day I'm going to come on this show with texts that are not high holiday. <laughs> no, there, I think the point today. is, no, no, that there's, right. I, well, you know, but I think about even, so the Unatana Tokaf, like if you're familiar with it, it's the who shall live and who shall die. It's a very dramatic moment on the high holidays. But before you get to the who shall live and who shall die, there's this image of God sitting like a shepherd reviewing the flock. Each sheep passes before God. And and also these images of each of our deeds are recorded by us and stamped by us. And so I feel like our texts are so focused on our individual, I mean, yes, on collective, but the way each individual fits into the collective. And so that sense of like, we don't care who we get, like your humanity, your identity, your unique story doesn't matter. We just need two bodies. feels really, really different to me. And maybe it's I mean, obviously it's not a Jewish show. I don't think they're trying for it, but I also think that there's something really antithetical hearing that also, because they have been so much of the show is focused on their, each of their identities, each of their quirks, each of their growth. And then to be told like, yep, none of that matters. Just pick two of you. It is a big surprise. And I, I think it's not a bad, not a bad one to throw back at us because we can feel very superior to that attitude. But I think if you line up on the one hand, the Mindy question of lots of good, I mean, the biggest, what is it, the biggest charity ever and actually solving all these problems, like that sounds really good. And we totally do engage, like we can't throw that kind of thing out and we don't. And then I think Sean's forcing this, you know, we have that, we have this kind of individuation 
isolation. I'm okay. I don't owe you anything. And then this, and then Sean's rationality thing. We're not going to deal with emotions and connections. Um, you have to find a way to talk about that without actually doing that. It really sets up this division. And yet I feel like the good place is saying, yeah, if we, if you just say, yeah, a person, we will regard someone as a as a good person because you know we just think they're they're good we care about them that they're still sort of throwing this other thing is like do you really think that like is that all are you really going to throw that other thing out of the out of the picture and maybe the answer maybe the mindy st clarence is of course like you don't want to be her like if she's the only way you can get to summing up deeds in a pile you know matters then clearly we're throwing that out the window but i i, I feel like there's still a, a tension in there and sean and you know i mean if i were in my American social critic mode, I would say, oh, totally. This is what we do all the time. We we say we believe in this, but you know, but it's totally realistic to say that we do the other thing too, where we're just like, yeah, let's let's just pick two. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I struggle with is like, are there quote right? Like, are there quotas in the good place and the bad place? Is oh. it like, is it really that a certain number of people? And I know they played this well. Spoiler alert: they played these questions out later. Also, but do there have to be a certain number of people in each of the place? I mean, minus the middle place, which can apparently only have one person. But, <laughs> but like that's the right. I I mean, I agree on the now the I mean. I don't actually, I'll have to go back and watch the next episode. But now the four have to basically have the discussion of like, okay, which of us are the worst people? But this idea that not all four, like, is the bad place owed people? That's the part that feels antithetical because that makes it just sort of feel like we don't actually care what you do or how you've changed. We just, we need the bodies. We need the numbers. Well, but doesn't Sean, doesn't Sean preface this by saying basically, okay, we've got, we've got Eleanor who you've made the case, but I don't buy it. We've got Jason who nobody's made the case. And then we've got you, Chidi and Tahani, who have been aiders and abettors this whole time. So basically none of you are any good. So, you know, I'm happy to take, you know. I, yes, absolutely. Right. I mean, I think Again, this is where I would go say, like, everyone should be in the middle medium place. Like, all of us should be in yeah, the medium yeah, place, probably. Yeah. You know, maybe there's a couple of people out there who really should be in the bad place. I could probably, I could think of some, but most of us should be in the medium place. And I think Sean is basically saying, exactly, well, Eleanor, this. And, and But I think the part that I am chafing against is when he basically says, we are owed two bodies. We don't care. Yes, mm. on the, you're all, you've all done bad stuff. Yes, on all of that. It's just the like, but our records show that we're short too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that I totally, and I think that they, every time as this season comes to a close that we sort of try to come to that answer, they throw us, they throw us a little wrinkle to see whether we really are committed to, right. to that and to the characters too. So I think it's like, it's very like they, they've done, they've played with this enough that they're going to have to settle on it. And I think in some ways the, the idea that that the more interesting place is the medium place in the growth mode is certainly where the rest of the show goes after this season in a lot of ways, although not yeah. originally by they yeah, it takes takes them some time to to get there. And one day we're gonna have to come back. I'm gonna have to come back and have a whole cheaty conversation. Obviously, I think he's phenomenal in the character, but there is this part of me always that's like I don't I don't quite like his whole bad place thing. I've never quite like I get it, but again, he's I'm like put him in the medium place. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, it's interesting too. Because he lives in that, like that's where he lives. He lives in indecision. And I think maybe particularly this kind of indecision, that question of whether to judge people by kind of character and character development versus by 
quantity of goodness produced was exactly what you and I, that was the episode you and I were talking about, <laughs> which was uh, chapter five. So we, we, we're like destined yeah. to, yeah, that's to loop back the, on I guess this, so, which, right? Yeah. It's and and by the way, I also think to some extent, that's what Sean is pushing. He is saying, I mean, he's actually the Maimonides figure of like, don't talk to me about like their interchange. I don't care. I don't care about their intention. I don't care about their love. Show me what they are doing, right? In some way, like action for this show is the cold, hard fact. Whereas feeling, emotion, like the stuff that I think we think about a lot as interchange. Sean's like, I don't care. That doesn't convince me. Yeah, and I think the most interesting thing to me is how to integrate them in a way that makes sense. And I know that what I struggle with is whether you can kind of codify that or whether it's just, okay, these are two layers and you're going to have to just live with layering them. I think you are doing a better job of <laughs> reaching that equilibrium than I am. And I'm trying it's to funny, figure out. I was that. about to say, and I literally stopped myself because I think what Sean is sort of getting at is you can't fake fact. <laughs> which our our world might have us questioning these days, right? Like, but you can't fake action. I think Sean is saying, show me what they have done. Show it to me in cold, hard fact. And I can't argue that. And our tradition, I think, has long, there's tons of debate of, does it matter what my intention is if I'm doing the act? Our tradition, I think, wonders that basically from the beginning of the Talmud on of what matters, action, intention, how do they work with each other? What can I fake? What can't I fake? So, yeah, if we do some kind of uh, season one retrospective, oh, right. but character by character or something, but, you know, talking about how Chidi isn't such a vocal character in this episode, but in a way, Chidi is the essential, if not for well, him, no, this whole, this wouldn't have happened. And, and so it's not in the moment, even his actions in the moment are very small, but his, what he's unleashed, actually, it's interesting, you know, in that way, he's like the opposite or the, the analog to to Mindy, you know, he, he's, I mean, Eleanor's actions are at this point are in some way his, they're a result of him. Right. And just like Mindy's charity is in some sense, you know, the outcome of her, of her action, mm -hmm. although in a much less <laughs> profound, but much very right. large way. Yeah. Here, I'll yeah. throw the question even, so pretend you've never seen the series. So the good thing, the thing to know about me is I don't remember, I will watch it. And then it just sort of goes out of my head. So I actually don't remember what the next episode is. I will rewatch it. But if this is all you'd seen, if we were doing this contemporaneously with the series coming out, who would, what, who are the two who would go to the bad place? Oh, uh, you're asking me to answer mm -hmm. that? Oh, who would go to the bad Of the four of them? Yeah, because they have to decide. I mean, I would just, I would, based on, at the moment, my, I don't know that this is like by my like philosophical reflection. I just think like, there's no way Eleanor isn't going to follow through on her. That's the, the next logical step. It seems to be what she's saying she's doing. I mean, so in some sense, like Sean saying, okay, it doesn't matter who, like she was already had made the decision that she would right. leave there. So it's a question of who's going to go with her mm. or who's she going to take her. And of course she's not going to pick, I don't know, which is why it's got to, you know, spoiler alert, it's got to end some other, it's this, right. this phase has got to end some other it's way. Some I don't know. Way. Do you have a, I don't, so I don't have an answer. Do you have an answer? No, I mean, it's such a, right, I agree. I think Eleanor would go, and that is, in some ways, that is both for Sean, like, the internal, right, like, her internal change of, like, I, this is what I owe these people, 
And the external, like, here's an action, like, here's something she is doing to show that she is different, because old Eleanor certainly would not have, would never sacrifice herself. And I don't know, again, spoiler alert, it, the question isn't going to get answered. Would Shidi go with her because that's the evolving dynamic? Oh, well, you know, now that you're, now that we're saying this, it's making me think that another character who's really receded in the background in this episode is real Eleanor, quote unquote, mm-hmm. real Eleanor, who is certainly right. has got as much goodness as Mindy St. Clair in her, in terms of the, the quality of their Max goodness quality, it seems to be really, but she doesn't really seem relevant to this, no, to this conversation like, right now. But I could see her saying, well, it's got to be me. You know, obviously, of all the good people, the person who would be good enough to see this through would be me. I'm going to go mm. back there. It was nice. It was nice meeting you guys, but yeah. I'm not going to throw any of the rest of you on the bus. So maybe the two Eleanors, you know. Go off back. into the sunset. Yeah. Yeah. But and I guess which, but the whole point of this thought experiment is to say the way the, that question is framed is now absurd. And we know that that can't be the logical answer right. or the philosoph- you know, the ethical answer. Well, we are rapidly getting toward the end of the first season, which will be an inflection point. And so all the hosts that you've heard so far are cooking on how we can not just uh, deal with the last episode, which is the next one, that'll be the final episode of the season, but also if we want to do some kind of uh, wrap up and and set up. So stay tuned. And Sari, thank you for coming by. Thanks. This was fun. I do. Thanks for letting me talk about Mindy and and the middle place, Mike. My true passion, apparently. (laughs) Awesome. All right. See you in the middle place. (laughs) Everything is fine. (laughs) Everything. Actually, like, it would be like, that's what they should have done. Welcome to the middle place. Everything's okay. (laughs) I'll give them some notes. (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's great. And that's another episode of Tove in the Books. Thank you out there on your run or your drive or doing your dishes for letting us join you. If you want to look at the Jewish texts we referenced or find a deeper dive into what we were talking about or learn who Maimonides was, check out our show notes at tovegoodplace.com. We're on social media at tovegoodplace and would love to hear your ideas for us or questions by email tove at tovegoodplace.com. I'm John Spiracevet, at RabbiJS3, and Sari Laufer is a fixture on Twitter, at Rabbi Laufer. Thanks to our home institutions, Temple Beth Abraham in Nashua, New Hampshire, and Stephen Wise Temple in Los Angeles. Look for us if you're in either of our neighborhoods, or see what we've got going on virtually these days. Help spread Tove around by subscribing on your favorite app and telling other people about the podcast. And to paraphrase Mark Evan Jackson, who plays Sean and hosts the official Good Place podcast, now go learn more about something good. Bum, 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 bum.